I'd like for you to go to Second Thessalonians tonight. We would not have this epistle tonight if it were not for false teachers. Before the Apostle Paul died, false teachers had crept into the church and the greatness of the revelation of the mystery was lost. And in chapter 2, verse 2, God says that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from Paul, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Had the false teachers not arisen, our ministry today would not have needed to be in existence. Our ministry is here today because of the inaccuracy of God's word. False teachers that have risen through the years and propounded that word which is not the real, great, wonderful word of God. You know, the city of Thessalonica had a population of about 70,000. Sense knowledge-wise, we wouldn't have gone to that city. It was a city of heathenism, of pagan idolatry. It was a city where the Jewish leaders were antagonistic. And yet somehow or other, a man dared to believe God, walk into that city, and 1 Thessalonians 1.8 is the record of what happened in that city. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith, your believing to God or toward God is spread abroad, has gone forth so that you need not to speak anything. They did not need to make a placard and walk out and say, look at us from Thessalonica. All they did was hold forth the greatness of God's word. And out of that fantastic city of some 70,000, completely immersed in heathenism and pagan idolatry and Jewish bitterness, came forth the greatness of the word of God that sounded forth out of those men and those women. Paul never went to Thessalonica to get the people in to Christianity. He never went into Thessalonica to get the people into the new movement. Paul went to Thessalonica to get the word into Thessalonica. This is why he not only reasoned with them out of the written word, but he made that written word a living word. Until the written word becomes living in your life, it's just a head trip. He didn't reason with them out of the written word only. He made that written word a living word in Thessalonica. That is why that word of God sounded out from them throughout not only Macedonia but Achaia, every place, because wherever they went, all they talked about is the greatness of God's word.
In the book of Thessalonians, Paul indicated the greatness of the suffering Savior. Because without the suffering Savior, we couldn't have had the risen Savior. And yet Christendom in our day and time seldom comes beyond the suffering Savior. They talk about the risen Savior on Easter, but it's a head trip. They just talk about it. They don't really live it. They don't really believe it. That is not made a living word to people today. It's still a written word. So Paul in the book of Thessalonians not only presented the suffering Savior, he presented the risen Savior. And above that, he presented the coming Savior. Three categories in Thessalonians. The crucified one, the risen one, and the coming one. The suffering Savior, the risen Savior, and the coming Savior. Because of the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and his ascension, the seed of God in Christ in you could be planted and you could believe by the freedom of your will in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is due to the suffering and the risen Savior. And because God sent his son Jesus Christ, he suffered for us and God raised him from the dead. We can so love him that our love is rooted and grounded in that resurrected Christ. And subsequently, our hope is anchored in the coming Savior. Paul did not go to Thessalonica with religious and ecclesiastic rules and regulations like many of us were raised under. He didn't come with a new plan for self-improvement. He didn't come with, no, with, with a new social program, a new ecological program, or a political reform program. He went into that city of 70,000 of heathenism and pagan idolatry and Jewish hatred with one thing, people, the same thing that the core represents, the word and nothing but the word, sir. He certainly didn't go into Thessalonica to excite the goats. He went in there with the word of God that God's word could draw out those people whom God saw before the foundations of the world who were to be his, who were to be saved, who were to be sons of God. Class, whenever belief in the truth of God's word is gaining, then belief in the power of God's word is ascending. And if this is not true, it will always be going down the ladder rather than coming up. You and I, for the most part, still live in a day and a time when belief in the truth of God's word is not gaining because People do not know God's word. They think they do, but they don't. Whenever people believe in the truth of God's word and make that word of God a living word, then the belief in the power of God's word ascends. Most of the Christians today are waiting for death. 
because they believe if death comes, then somehow or other they'll go to some better realm. Others are waiting for a new outpouring before the return of Christ. Others are waiting for a revival. Others are waiting for Israel to get back to the promised land. Others are waiting for the revelation of the Antichrist. All these are in error because the only thing that we are waiting for is the revelation of God's Son from heaven. That is Thessalonians. When the great mystery, the knowledge of the great mystery and the believing of the great mystery is God, so-called religious groups of Christianity will take up their own so-called bodies of Christendom. And then I will be a Roman Catholic or I'll be a Presbyterian or I'll be a Methodist or I'll be a Lutheran. And they'll argue like they did in Corinthians, whether we're of Paul or of Cephas or of Apollos. And yet you and I know from the integrity and the accuracy of God's word that we are all one in Christ Jesus, striving together with one mind, one spirit, holding the head who is Christ Jesus. And we're increasing with the increase of the knowledge of God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, in verse 1 we read, Paul and Silvanus. Silvanus is just an elongated form of the word silence. And Timotheus is the Greek form of Timothy. Paul, Silvanus, or Silas and Timothy. God, how I'd love to have been with those three men. Can you imagine Paul and Silas and Timothy being together? Wonder what they talked about. I'll bet they weren't peeling potatoes all day long. I'll bet they weren't talking about the social problems, ecological problems, you know, and all that stuff. I'll bet Paul, Silas, and Timothy were talking about how can we move God's word in Thessalonica? How can we move it all over the world? How can we move God's word? My, how I'd love to have been with Paul and Silas and Timothy. And here is the great record in 2 Thessalonians of those three great men being together because after the death of Paul, it was Timothy who carried the ministry that Paul had laid upon his shoulders. I'm thinking tonight, of course, that Timothy was like the vice president or Silas like the secretary treasurer. <laughs> and here this tremendous board of trustees, so to speak, of God's word were to gather Paul and Silas and Timothy. And because of the false teachers that had crept into Thessalonica right after the greatness of the word was made known and people were being bombarded by these intellectually false teachers, they had all the credentials, sir. They had their PhDs, their masters. There they were trying to bombard the new Christians with wrong teaching. And Paul and Silas and Timothy got together and they said the best thing we can do right now is to write them a letter. 
write them an epistle. And the record of what they wrote them is what we're going to do in the core this year, Second Thessalonians. The first thing you will notice, it is unto the church. It's to the church. To the church. Which means it's to the born-again believers. To those who are born again, to those who were being bombarded by the false teachers, to those Paul, Silas, and Timothy wrote, I believe that when Paul wrote this by divine revelation, Timothy went over it, Silas went over it, they discussed that letter before it was sent to the people in Thessalonica. It's to the church, the born-again believers of the Thessalonians. The epistles, as they were addressed to the church, were sent to that church. Then from that church, they went to the, all the other churches. It was first read in Thessalonica, but the truth of the revelation of God to the church in Thessalonica would be efficacious for all the other churches of Christendom. So it was sent unto the church of the Thessalonians. In God, in God, the church of the Thessalonians, in God. The word in is the Greek word en. And in this instance, it means rest and continuance unto the church of the Thessalonians in God, in a restful state, in a continuance. Later on you will see why this was written. Because the false prophets, the false teachers were getting these people unsettled. They were riling them up. They were losing their restfulness, their quiet acquiescence, that peace that they had previously had, these people were stirring up and they were losing peace, quietness, serenity. That's why it says in God. And the word in means at rest, at rest. Boy, people, when you begin to see the greatness of that, it just it electrifies your heart. It's unto the church at rest. Look, when you're born again of God's Spirit, you belong to the church, right? Okay, and when you belong to the church, you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're at rest. You're no longer in condemnation. You've passed from death unto life. You shall never come into the wrath. Boy, what a rest, what a rest. What a rest. I called one of our people this morning by phone and I said, honey, quit condemning yourself. Quit persecuting yourself. The reason I'm able to say that is because I know the word. And the word says that when you're born again of God's spirit, we're at rest. We're at rest. And we have to continue in that rest. That's why I could say that to her, look, there is therefore now no what? To them who are where? Is that the word? That's what it means. That's what it says. 
So all of this condemnation, all this stuff comes from the adversary. It comes from the other source to make you less than what God really made you to be in Christ Jesus. So I said, look, quit condemning yourself. Unto the church of Thessalonica in God. The church in God. The church, the believers in God at rest. And they continue in that rest. That's that word in. Then it says, our Father. <laughs> That's a fantastic thing. Rest in God. The Elohim as well as the Jehovah. Our God, the Elohim, because as Elohim, he had to create within us Christ. All of that eternal life. Remember that? He is our father. And you know what a father is? <laughs> a father is someone who nourishes. Someone who provides for his kids. It's someone who protects his kids. It's someone who fights for his kids. It's someone who stands for his family. Unto the church, our Father. Unto that church. And the only way you can belong to the church is to have God create in you Christ Jesus in you, the hope of glory. That's God, and he is our Father. Class, how Christianity could ever have come to such a low state, I just don't know today. I have no explanation, I have no knowledge of why we would ever allow something so fantastic to be so degraded and people to argue about I just for the life of me can't understand. The church of God, the church that's at rest within God and continues in that rest of God who is our Father, our provider, our nourisher, our protector, the one who bears his arm for us, the one who is our shield and our buckler, the one who is our strength. He is our God and our Father. He is our Elohim. He is our Jehovah. He is our Father. Class, we are his kids. We are his children. And being his children, we ought to stand up and say, yes, thus saith the Lord. Well, that's not all it says in that verse. Unto the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and, and the word and sets it in correspondence with, not identical with, but in correspondence with, and the Lord Jesus Christ. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, 
Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and what? And there is none other name given under heaven whereby we must be what? That's right. So it's to the church of God, the church that is in God, who is our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As you know, the word Lord means owner, master. Jesus Christ is our Lord and our master. We do not take our orders from the local newspaper or the latest periodical. We do not go by what the President of the United States may say. We as born again sons of God with God as our Father, we go by what our Lord Jesus Christ says. Jesus Christ is our Lord. That means he's our master. That means he is our owner. When Jesus Christ says jump, we don't listen to anything else. We just jump. When he says walk, sir, we just walk. He is our Lord. And the word Lord means master. As I told you and continue to tell you, <laughs> he is party of the first part and every other part. Until you're born again of God's spirit, you're party of the first part and every other part. But when you get born again, you change masters. You're no longer master of your life. He's the master of it because he is the owner of it. And here it says, Jesus Christ. Whenever the word Jesus occurs accurately before the word Christ, it, it emphasizes his humility, his suffering, his death. Everything he paid for you and for me. That's the beauty of the greatness of this first verse. Unto the church in God, our Father, and correspondingly what the mediator did, the Lord, our Lord, our owner, our master, the humiliated one, Jesus, whom God raised as the Christ, the Messianic one. That's how it's used. Verse 2. Grace. Unto you, and peace from God our Father. In verse 1 it says, in God our Father, and here he tells us from. If we're in, then anything we get has to be from. God is our Father. We are in him. We are part of that family. Therefore, everything we get in this family is from God our what? Father. That's why it's used that way. And the first thing he says is grace. Grace, divine favor. Totally unworthy. Not of works lest any man should what? Just grace. He says this to the church. Grace, divine favor, perpendicular, God demand, unmerited, unearned. Nobody entitled to it. All grace. 
Boy, what a walk. Since you know it's all grace, all you have to do is talk about it. The greatness of God's deliverance of his power. Because none of us are worthy. We're all dead in trespasses and sins without God and without hope. When you're born again, it is by grace. Our ministry today is due to the grace of God. You're in the core by grace. <laughs> and I'm here to teach you tonight by grace. And that's the first thing he says to the church. Grace. Once you know who you are, who your daddy is, who your nourisher is, who your supplier is, who your caretaker is. The first thing he says, grace, divine favor. That's why we are at rest. When you recognize grace, honey, you can always settle down. And you can feel within your own self just to be grateful and thankful because you just know you're not worthy, but he made you worthy because of his grace. <laughs> Secondly, peace. Wow, what a tremendous thing. Most men and women are never at peace. We are. Because we know God is our Father, and Jesus Christ is our Lord, and we just have everything by grace, and therefore we're just at peace. The whole world around us may go flippy. <laughs> it may blow, it may say one thing one day or another, so what? We still have what? Peace. Because of God's grace. Grace and peace from. And this word from makes it very significant to me. It's from God who is the source. God is the source. Our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is repeated here, I believe, to indicate that Jesus Christ is the mediator of this grace and of this peace. He is the one by whom grace and peace was made known to us. And as far as I know, I'm the only man theologically who believes this in the world because all the commentaries say this is not true. So I forget the stupid commentaries. Because I know the work of the ministry of Jesus Christ, I believe he is what the word says he is, the mediator between God and what? Then you look at that verse. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father. And in correspondence with whom? The Lord. And he's the one. That's why I think it's right. He's the mediator. He's the mediating one of this means of grace and of peace. For you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. I checked five commentaries on this verse. Not a one of them says that that's right. Well, I don't give a hoot what the commentaries say. You read it with a little knowledge of God's word at other places, then you know the mediator between God and man has to be Christ Jesus. And this grace and peace is from God who is the source. 
He is our what? Father. And it became yours and mine through his son, Jesus Christ, who is the mediating one. He is the means of our receiving grace and peace. <laughs> Another reason I know this is true is because the word from is apo, meaning emanating from the source of. Where did it come from? Verse 3. We are bound <laughs> to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. We are bound. One translator says we ought, which is not a bad translation. We ought to thank God. I think the ought is not bad, but I don't think it's strong enough. I think the word bound pretty well expresses it. We're tied, we're bound, we're absolutely responsibly committed. We are under obligation to do this spiritually for our brethren. Pray one for another. Scripture says, I think we are bound to do this. The word thank in verse 3. It's a prayer of thanksgiving, and this is the first prayer of which there are three in Second Thessalonians. This is the first. In First Thessalonians chapter 1, in verse 2 it says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Here in 2 Thessalonians, after the introduction of verse 1 and 2, he begins the body of this epistle by saying we are bound, we're under obligation as believers to spiritually give thanks. Pray one for another for our brothers. We're absolutely obligated, honey. We're committed men and women. We are bound. We have to lift one another. Whether I like it or not, it's not important. i got to pray for you. Whether you like it or you don't like it, you have to pray for me. We are bound. Well, I can understand this because who is our Father? Amen. You're part of the family. I'm part of the family. We're sisters and brothers. That does what together? Binds us together. And ladies and gentlemen, we don't let all hell break us up. We are a family. We are a body. We stand together. You may be a little weak and blow it, honey, but I ain't going to let the outside touch you. Why? Because we are what? That's right. That's why I never allow people on the outside to touch the way ministry and way people. I never let them touch the core. Now, I know the core is not perfect, but I know God is. And I know God is in Christ is in you. And I know that we are a family. And I'm not going to let some nincompoop on the outside touch my family 
You're my family. I stand for you. Lead to the death, man. Now, if you and I and the family want to fight, that's one thing. If we want to get together and argue with each other, that's one thing. But nobody on the outside argues with you. Nobody on the outside of the family touches a family, people. You get that tight, you just don't let anybody touch the wake or nobody, just nobody. We stand for each other, we fight for each other, and if we have to, sir, we die for each other. We just don't allow the adversary to touch that family. We're under obligation to stand with our brothers and with our sisters. We're to pray one for another. That's why that word thank is there. To thank God always, always. Always does not mean all the time. It means always when I think about you. And if you love someone enough, you're going to be doing what? That's what that word always is. And the word for is simply the same word as concerning. It's petty, concerning. I am committed, I'm bound, I have to, I'm obligated to thank God always when I think of you, concerning you, concerning you, for you, concerning you. And then that great word, brethren. Why? Because you're my brother. You're my sister. You have the same father I have. These people in Thessalonica had the same father that Paul had, or Silas, or Timothy. That's why he says, brethren, as it is meat. That's not a track meat. That's a spiritual meat. As it is essential, it's necessary. And that fits right with the word bound, under obligation. It's necessary, it's meet, it's the right on thing. And then comes the word because, and because gives you the reason for it. We're bound to thank God. Reason? Because. Because gives you the reason. Because of what? Reason. You'll see the same thing come up in verse 13 of chapter 2. Thanks always to God, what? What's it say? For you what? Beloved of the what? Next word. There you have it, reason, it's second prayer. See? You thank God. You have a reason for thanking God. What reason do I have for thanking God? Well, you're my brother and my what? Sister. You're my brother and my sister. We stand together in that family. We don't let anybody touch us. Nobody touches the family. And we thank God. Because that you're pistis. Why? Thank God because you're believing. Pistis. Word faith is believing. He opens this wonderful epistle to Second Thessalonians, which was written not too long after the first one was written, and he opens it with thanks to God because that you're believing, 
your believing groweth exceedingly. You cannot grow in faith. You can grow in what? That's why that word has to be believing. Translated faith there. Because when you're born again of God's spirit, whose faith do you have? And that's about as big as anybody's ever going to get, sir. Therefore, I know from context it cannot be faith. You can grow in your what? Because you get more knowledge of God's word, you get a greater understanding of God's word, therefore you can grow in your what? That your believing groweth exceedingly. And the growing exceedingly is possible because you renew your mind to the word. It's according to the renewed mind. That's how you grow. To the end that you will renew your mind on the integrity and accuracy of God's word, you will grow. Because your believing groweth exceedingly. According to their renewed mind, it was growing. And the charity, the word charity is the word agape, which is the love of God in the renewed mind in manifestation. And the love of God in the renewed mind in manifestation of every one of you all, every one is each one, toward each other. The word toward is the Greek preposition ice. And this word is always used in a mathematical sense of a line reaching out from this point over there, but touching that point over there. It's unto with the idea of touching, unto with the idea of touching the love of God in the renewed mind in manifestation of every one of you all, reaching out with the idea of touching each other, one another, Touching one another aboundeth, aboundeth. In First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, And the Lord make you to increase, and increasingly in love one toward another. Abound is the same word as the word increase of verse 12. And there it's, just increase. The Lord make you to increase. The love of God in the renewed mind of each one of you all reaching out to each one or one another increases. All the love of God in the renewed mind of each one of you all toward each other does what? Increase. That is the first great verse of the body of the text that Paul, by God's revelation with Silas and Timothy, addressed to the church at Thessalonica after they had been invaded by false teaching. And he is endeavoring to correct the false teaching by writing the truth of God's word to them. And in the light of that, he says that this love of God of every one of you all toward each other has to do what? 
increase, increase. It is interesting to me that this fantastic epistle of Second Thessalonians dealing with the return of Christ should emphasize in the first verse that this love of God has to do what? Increase. You know why I know it's there? Because, honey, the world don't give one hoot about you. Sir, they don't care one bit about you. The only one who cares about us is God through his wonderful son, Jesus Christ. And we're part of the family, and therefore we stand together and we love one another with the love of God in the renewed mind, and that increases. And as that increases, we can stand all the pressure the adversary can lay on us on the outside. And instead of the days getting better, Thessalonians is going to inform us that before the return of Christ are going to get worse and worse. Then what comfort do we have? The comfort of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and one another. You and I have each other. We can stand and love each other. We can stand shoulder to shoulder. We, 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 we just, well, what, what are those animals? They all put their heads in the middle and their rear ends. That's how we can be. We put all our heads together on the word of God and kick the hell out of anybody gets around. <laughs> That's that love of God, sir, in the renewed mind in manifestation. That's why that first verse addressed to the Thessalonians in this second epistle just stands like a great diamond of the believers standing together and not allowing anybody to touch us. With the love of God in the renewed mind and increasing in strength, because every time a believer comes in the body, it gets a little bigger, gets a little bigger, and we stand and we hold one another in the greatness of the fellowship of the love of God in Christ Jesus in our hearts. 